James chapter 5, we come to the last chapter here in the book of James. So much meat within the last chapter. And I need to remind myself sometimes of the context of the book and what's going on. So hopefully you guys can be patient with me as I remind myself. Maybe you need to be reminded as well. But again, James, he's writing this book to a group of believers. He's writing it to a church. If we remember, one of his nicknames was Old Camel Knees uh, because he would spend so many hours praying that he would have calluses on his knees. I think it was the first teaching when we were talking about the outline that they said that when they buried him and put him in the tomb that they had to straighten out his legs because his legs were more used to being bent before the Lord than standing and walking amongst the men. And as he's writing to the church, it's not a perfect society. They don't live in a republic or a democracy. They live under the rule of Rome. There's evil going on. There's injustice. There's things that aren't fair, things that aren't right. He's having to constantly remind the church to be unified, to not speak evil about each other. Has to constantly be reminding the church to love one another, to be praying for one another. Has to constantly be reminding the church to be patient in trials and temptations. To be reminded that sin and temptation, they come from our own hearts. It's not the, the people around us. It's not their fault. It's our fault within our own heart. He reminded us that a mature believer, they practice and live out the word of God. He reminds us that a Christian should be able to hold their tongue and have that self-discipline in the tongue, right? Such a small member, and yet it causes so much evil. In chapter 4, he reminded us that as believers, we are to make peace and not more trouble. We shouldn't be looking to instigate fights and instigate discussions, right? That we just sit back and watch the world burn. That's not what we as believers should be doing. And here in chapter 5, he's going to sort of sum everything all back up again. Remind us to be patient in the Lord. Remind us to pray. And remind us to stay heavenly minded. Sounds like he wrote this this week, right? Sounds like he wrote this for today. And again, family, that's the power of the word of God. We'll read James chapter 5, verses 1 through 7. And he tells us, Come now, you rich. Weep and howl for your miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches are corrupted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver are corroded and their corrosion will be a witness against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have heaped up treasure in the last days. Indeed, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you have kept back by fraud, cry out, and the cries of the reapers have reached the ears of the Lord of the Sabbath. You have lived on the earth in pleasure and luxury. You have fattened your heart as in the day of slaughter. You have condemned, you have murdered the just. He does not resist you. Therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and latter rain. James, he continues the thought in chapter 4, verse 13, that we should be bending our will to the will of God. Again, a true Christian, a true believer does not say, Lord, it's my will, it's my way or the highway. 
a true Christian, a true believer, as we cry out to him saying, Lord, Savior, Father, we're saying, Lord, from here on out, I'm going to bow my will according to your will. We'll read chapter 4, verse 13 through 17 to remind us truly what's going on here. He says, come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, we're going to buy and sell, then we're going to make a profit, whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time, and then it vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. But now you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is a sin. Again, the end of chapter 4, he's warning us that it's a sin to not bow our will down to God's will. Now, the second part here in chapter 5 is he's going to be telling us it's a sin if we don't bow down our wealth to God's will. That's what he's truly speaking of here. And some people, maybe they take this out of context. If this is the first time you read this, verse 1 through 6, you could say, what in the world does this have to do with the rest of the chapter, right? He's gathering all the rich people and he's telling them to weep and howl like a bunch of sad wolves. What in the world is going on here? You see, verses 1 through 6, James, he's going to take a moment and instead of speaking to the believers, he's going to take a moment and speak to some of the injustices going on in this time period in Israel. Again, ancient culture was not like our culture. If you were poor, there are many poor people who were poor, but yet they were working more than everybody else. And they had no way to really get out of that system or get out of that place. If you were poor and somebody abused you... Who do you call? You just have to deal with it. Someone more rich than you, more powerful than you, says something about you. What can you do? Right? Joseph, what could he have done with Potiphar and Potiphar's wife? Couldn't do anything. It was not fair. It was not right. It was unjust. And he had to just trust in the Lord. In this day and age, there was no government assistant plans. There was no food drive-bys or food deliveries. There were many people who were poor and they had no way of getting out of such a situation. So now he stops here and he's calling out these rich people, these people that amass wealth for themselves. And yet the first part, verses 1 through 3, he's warning them because their whole lives have been about amassing wealth. They've been so focused on wealth and bank accounts and the future and 401k that they've forgotten to be prepared for our eternal life. That's what's happened to these men. Listening to teachings, it's so true. We'll spend here, right, at max, I don't know who the Guinness Book world record holder of oldest person in this world is right now. Maybe they're 110, 115. That's a long time. Anybody here want to live to be 115? Right? No, hopefully not. Right? I don't want to. I hope Jesus has come long gone before then, right? So max 115 years old. The 115 years spent here on this rock. Family, we're going to spend over a trillion years in heaven with Jesus Christ. Or if you don't have a relationship and friendship with Jesus Christ, it's a trillion years and more that you'll be spending in hell for all of eternity. 
So again, we can be planning so much for something that is so short-sighted. We can be planning just for the first quarter, right? No good coach is going to only plan for the first quarter. Hey, coach, what are we going to do now? It's the half. Oh, man, I forgot the game plan for that, right? No coach is going to do that. But yet, for so many humans, we are not planning or ready for death. We had a, a, a pastor's and pastor's wives meeting on Sunday and someone was sharing how they shared the gospel because someone was very afraid of their life and this COVID situation and they asked them, ma'am, are you afraid to die? And they just didn't know how to answer that question. Of course, if I get it, that's it, I'm going to die, that's it, my life is over. But that's when our life just begins, family. That's the joy and the hope that we have, that the moment we pass from this earth, our friendship, our relationship with God, that is when our life begins, right? I don't know how many high schoolers, when they hit senior year, they're just super sad and crying. <laughs> I can't believe it's going to be over. School's going to finally be over, right? That person graduating with their bachelor's, their master's, someone that is a doctor, went to med school for eight years, are they just crying that school is over? No, there's excitement because life is about to begin. All of their hard work, all of their plans, all of the tests, all of the sleepless nights, it's finally going to come to an end. And family, this is how we should see our salvation. This is the way that we should be looking to heaven. This world, this earth, it's just school. Some of you love school. I'll pray for you. I'm glad you're here, right? I didn't love school that much. I couldn't wait to get out of school. That's the way we should be looking at this earth. Lord, let me be faithful with what you've given me. Lord, let me prepare in this life. Again, that's the beautiful balance of Scripture. There's the importance of preparing for heaven, but there's also, hey, if you're not preparing and caring for your family, you're worse than an infidel. There's that beautiful balance within Scripture. You don't work, you shouldn't eat, right? Don't eat. There's that beautiful balance in Scripture that we should be doing well here on this earth for our family for those in our extended family, we should be working hard not to amass wealth, but so that we can help other people when they are in need. But our focus needs to be in the Lord. Our dependence needs to be on the Lord with our plans and also with our money. Zach, are you saying God hates the rich? No, that's not the case at all. We turn to Matthew chapter 19 and we'll begin to uncover some of the truths of money and wealth. And again, you read the book of Proverbs, and the wise man is the one that has enough for his own grandchildren, right? That's the wise man. That's the wise woman that is working from sunrise to sunset. That's the wise person. So hopefully we should all be able to say, no, God does not hate the rich. Matthew chapter 19. We'll start off in verse 18, right? We have the rich young ruler. He comes to meet with Jesus and follow him. He says, what shall I do that I may have eternal life? He answers him, verse 17, why do you call me good? No one is good but one that is God. But if you want to enter into eternal life, keep the commandments. And he said to him, which ones? Jesus told him, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness, honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, all these things I have kept from my youth. What do I still lack? 
Jesus said to him, if you want to be perfect, go and sell what you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. You see, this rich young ruler, his dependence was on his wealth. His dependence was on his possessions. And now when Jesus says, hey, lay those things aside and come and follow me. He just couldn't. He just couldn't. I wonder, I do wonder if later on he repented and he came back to the Lord. I said, Jesus, I sold it all. I gave it all. I'm so sorry. We don't know. But verse 23, Jesus, he turns to his disciples and he says to them, Assuredly, I say to you that it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And again, I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. When his disciples heard it, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them, and he said to them, With men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. So again, family, God, he does not hate the rich, but what God's word is pointing out, is that when we have great wealth and great riches and great power, our dependence can very quickly and very easily go to our wealth and power. Our assurance, our safety can go to our money and power and influence. Our reliance can turn to our money, power, and influence. And the sad thing is heaven or hell, it's not determined by money. By power or by influence. Our eternal destination, it's dependent on the Lord. So that's the warning for us. And many of us, our dependence can be in other things that are just as evil. Our dependence can be that we truly believe we are a good person and we haven't done anything wrong. And now we say, Lord, why do I have to come to you? I've been great. I've been awesome. I'm a better person than most Christians. Right? Most Christians, they're hypocrites, they lie, they say these things, they're terrible people. But me, I'm a great person. I don't need to go to church. It's full of hypocrites, right? That's what they say. Our dependence, now it's on our character and how good we are. And that's not going to cut it to get into heaven. Our dependence, some of you young people here, right? My dependence is my parents are saved and I've grown up in a church. So of course I'm going to heaven, right? My grandparents would not not let me in the house, right? Your dependence is on your parents and on their relationship with the Lord and not on your own personal walk and relationship and fear of God. You're saying, I've never done anything wrong. I didn't kill nobody, right? So of course I can make it into heaven. And now your dependence is not on the Lord. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10, here it gets more to the root of the problem. Kind of ironic when we look at the verse, but 1 Timothy chapter 6, it tells us the true root of the problem. The problem is not money. The problem is not wealth. The problem is the way we look at these tools. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6, great reminder for us today. 1 Timothy 6, chapter 6, it tells us, now godliness with contentment is great gain for we brought nothing into this world and it is certain we can carry nothing out having food 
and clothing, with these we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation with a snare and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. But you, right, reminder for us, but you, O man of God, flee these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, gentleness, Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life to which you were also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Again, family, the love of money, that's the root of all kinds of evil. It's not just money or having money. There are many wealthy men throughout Scripture that we look to as fathers of the faith. Abraham, extremely wealthy man. David, extremely wealthy man. Solomon, the wealthiest man that has ever walked the planet. Some of the men that met with Jesus, spoke to Jesus, right? Joseph of Arimathea, these men that paid for Jesus' tomb, wealthy men. And yet they had a love and desire for Jesus Christ. You see, money was not their master. Money was a tool that the Lord had given to them. That's a great quote for us to remember. Money is a great tool. But it is a cruel, cruel master. If you just live your whole life, your decisions, right? Lots of times we talk about what do we base our decisions upon, right? Fear of man or fear of God. If all our decisions are simply based on the money, bad things are going to happen, right? Hopefully we as parents, our decisions aren't just on the money when it comes to our kids, right? Many times we're willing to make sacrifices to put them in a private school versus public school. We make sacrifices to buy them healthier food instead of McDonald's dollar menu all the time, right? We make different sacrifices because we say this is what is going to be the most beneficial thing. And we're willing to give up that money. As we as believers, we should be willing to give up, again, depending on the season, working on a Sunday or constantly working so that we're never at church, we're never in fellowship because the most important things in our life it's not money. It's not just about dollars. Again, because of COVID, we haven't been able to be there next to someone as they're passing away. But I don't think anyone's dying breath, right? I wish I would have made more money. They pass away, right? I don't think that's it. I wish I would have bought that Lambo and they croak, right? That's not what happens. It's usually what, right? It's family. It's a relationship with God, doing more for the Lord, loving someone more, saying sorry to someone. These are the most important things that people are focusing in on when they realize, hey, my race has a lot less left than what's behind me. The love of money, family, that's the root of all kinds of evil. But we, right, we, oh man of God, oh woman of God, we should flee these things. And instead of just pursuing money, with this unquenchable desire, we should be pursuing righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and gentleness. And again, it's not a walk in the park. It's not the lazy river of faith. It's the fight, the good fight of faith. That's what we must do. 
And again, we're grateful for men and women that God has blessed with wealth. And it's truly a blessing from God. One time we were in a prayer meeting and I was praying, man. Someone was praying like, man, if all the rich Christians will give all the poor Christians money, Lord, everything will be good. I'm like, dude, you can't be praying socialistic prayers. That's not, that's not good. That's not good. The Lord will not honor that, right? The Lord gives certain people wealth because they can actually handle it. And the Lord doesn't give certain other people wealth because they can't handle it. Right? The Lord says that when you're faithful with the little, you'll be given the much. So if we can't do well with budgeting our small checkbook, how are we going to do when the Lord gives us even more? How are we going to do that? How are we going to handle that? Again, we should be praying for those that God has put in such positions to give them wisdom and discernment with the money they have. But again, family, it starts with whatever we have now. Whatever you have now in your bank account, whatever you have now in your wallet, you got to be willing to say, Lord, what would you have for me this month? Lord, where can I give? Who can I bless? Lord, what should I be doing right now? What should I be preparing for? Again, our plans and our wallets. And you can really learn about what someone truly loves when you look at their bank statement, right? You can really tell, hey, what are the most important things in your life when you look at through someone's credit card charges, right? It's always a common thing within married couples. Their budgets don't always align, right? The things of importance aren't always the same, right? You spend how much on your nails? How much? Every two weeks, every month? You wait a month, you spend how much at the gun range? Every week, every two months, what's going on, right? But to her, this is extremely important. To the man, this is extremely important. It's what they love, it's what they care for. He will hopefully, right, would never go get his nails done if that's you. You pray, you pray. <laughs> her, man, maybe it's cool, maybe she should, she shouldn't, right, go to the range. Again, the Lord wants to do those things, but now what we should be doing is saying, Lord, what's important to you? Lord, with my money, what's important to you? And we've seen it. Again, I get to use more youth parent stories because I'm not a youth pastor anymore. We see it. Parents, hey, are you going to send your kids to camp this year? I can't afford it, man. Just can't afford it this year. Oh, man, so sorry. So sad to hear that. A month later, they're at Disney World at all the resorts, all the buffets, all over social media. Okay. All right, I guess it wasn't about the money, right? Sometimes the Lord even does a work where there's a burden on someone's heart and they reach out to the person, hey, I want to pay for you to go to the retreat. And all of a sudden, it's a new set of excuses. No, 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 the budget's fine. It says, I'm busy with X, Y, or Z. Again, family, our wallets, our time, our plans, it's going to reveal those things that we truly love and care about. In Mark chapter 8, we see another warning here from Jesus for us. And this can apply to money, this can apply to fame, to just being someone who just is chasing a career. Mark chapter 8, verse 34, it says, When he had called the people to himself, with his disciples also, he said to them, Whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? 
Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Again, what does it profit us if we've gained the whole world and we have forfeited our souls? Again, married couples, parents, what does it profit us if our spouse, if our home, if our kids, they've gained the whole world, the house looks perfect, the vacations are perfect, but yet people are forfeiting their souls. Your kid's the smartest person, PhD, all these degrees, but yet they forfeited their souls what did it profit you? When you pull out the scales, was that a good profit? Was that a good plan? Did that come out the way you wanted it to or was it a waste? And now we go back to James chapter 5 and verse 2 and 3. It reveals to us the eternal perspective of these men who are amassing wealth and not seeking the Lord. And Lord, what should I be doing with the money you've blessed me with? Verse 2 and 3, it says, Your riches are corrupted. Your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver are corroded, and their corrosion will be witness against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have heaped up treasure in the last days. Matthew Poole, he says, he's speaking to them not simply as rich, for riches and grace sometimes may go together, but as wicked, not only wallowing in wealth, but in abusing it to their own pride, luxury, oppression, and cruelty. There's people that have so much money and influence that it truly does become the root of all types of sin. And now the money is at such a level in the bank account, they don't even think about that. Now what's the next thing? How can I puff myself up more? Right pride, luxury. How many houses can I have in each continent? How many cars can I have, right? And usually it's people and they end up wasting the money away later on. I've seen some of these specials on athletes, right? They just collect $100,000 cars. Never driven this one. Never driven that one. Never driven. Oh, I did. I forgot I had that one, right? That's not a wise way to live. And it's an evil way to live. John Trappy says, hey, it's better to weep here where there are wiping handkerchiefs in the hand of Christ than to have your eyes wiped out in hell. Better to howl with men than to yell with the devils. Again, family, what does a man gain if he gained the whole world and forfeits his own soul? Matthew chapter 6, Jesus once again. He tells us here in Matthew chapter 6, verse 20, right? Hopefully by now we know what we shouldn't do. Now in Matthew chapter 6, verse 20, he tells us what we should be doing, the way that we should be living. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19, Jesus tells us, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. 
again, family, that we would be amassing wealth in heaven. And again, the way we do that, it's doing things for the Lord. Sometimes it's with our money. Sometimes it's with our time. Sometimes it's with the gifts God has given us, each and every one of us. You have a different gift. Some of you, you have the gift of cleaning, right? And the way you can bless people and put treasures up in heaven is, man, cleaning the church. You clean someone's house and you help someone clean their home. And sometimes they know and sometimes they don't know. And now you're amassing wealth in heaven. You pay for someone's meal, someone's retreat, and you're amassing treasures in heaven. And there, it's never going to go bad. It's never going to go rotten. It's never going to go corrupt. The stocks aren't going to go up and down on it. It's not going to be a Ponzi scheme and now your money's stuck, right? It's never going to go to foreclosure. That will last forever. Then in verse 4 through 6, he begins to focus in on the men who use their wealth for injustice, for just pure evil. And again... This seems like it was written today, right? Men who use their insane wealth and riches only to watch people suffer? Lord, are you writing today, right? Is that someone? Lord, are you writing on the toast, right? What's going on? Uh, verse 4 through 6, it says, Indeed, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you have kept back by fraud, cry out. And the cries of the reapers have reached the ears of the Lord of the Sabbath. You have lived on the earth in pleasure and luxury. You have fattened your hearts as in the day of slaughter. You have condemned. You have murdered the just. He does not resist you. Again, this is crying about a man that has so much wealth. And yet the people working under him, they don't know what they're going to eat. They don't know what they're going to do when they get home. They don't know how they're going to make ends meet, even though he's amassing wealth and more wealth. They're crying out. They're weeping. And yet, Lord, what is going on? Lord, this isn't fair. And then in verse 5, it says that they've lived on earth in their pleasure and in their luxuries. And truly, what they have been doing is fattening their hearts as in the day of slaughter. Their hearts are just getting more cold, getting more hard. They're just surrounding themselves with so much pleasure, so much wickedness that they don't realize the next day they're going home to be with the Lord. You have condemned, you have murdered the just. He does not resist you. This is a sad three verses, right? Super sad, super bummed out. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 1, you could write it down. It says, Dishonest scales are an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. Again, our God, he's a God of order. He's a God of justice. He hates abuse. He hates evil. He hates murder. He hates sin. He hates many of the things that we hate as believers. But yet, he's omnipresent. He's omnipowerful. He sees all that's going on, and in his perfect timing, he will take care of it. At the end of verse 4, it says, the Lord of the Sabbath. And for us, right away, I just read it, the Lord of the Sabbath. But that's not what he's speaking of here. Here he's referencing, we've been singing that song recently, right? The Lord of hosts. That's the Lord of armies. The Lord of all power. The Lord of all the armies of the angels. And now what he is saying is, you evil men, 
the cries, the tears, the mourning of these weak people under injustice, they've reached heaven. They've reached heaven, and now the Lord in His perfect timing will execute His perfect justice. Just like in Exodus chapter 3, the Lord says that He's heard the cries of His people, right? Again, Sunday mornings, the Lord is so awesome how He connects all these things. And the Lord, He tells the people of Israel, He tells Moses, I have heard the cries of my people, and now I'm going to show Pharaoh that I am the Lord. I'm going to show him that I am the I am. That I am the Lord of hosts, right? All these angels, one angel in Israel wiped out all the firstborn. Another angel wipes out an entire army, right? Jesus with the disciples, Peter's there. He's ready to chop off one ear at a time, right? So everybody's deaf and they can run away. I don't know what his plan was, right? And the Lord tells Peter, man, I could call down hosts of angels if I wanted to. This isn't the plan. This isn't what I'm here for this season. It's for me to give up my life. So again, verses 1 through 6, he's speaking to the unbelievers here, right? Maybe we've been convicted and pricked to the heart a bit. Now verse 7, which is kind of the even harder one, is for us. Therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and latter rain, you also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. So again, all those verses that seem so evil and saddening, what's God's prescription for us? Be patient. We don't really like that, right? We don't like being patient when there is justice. When You don't like being patient when it's just justice waiting for the food to come out of the kitchen to eat. Now imagine having to be patient during times of injustice, times when things aren't fair. And again, notice James, he's not ready here to create a class war. James isn't saying here, hey, you see poor people, the the rich people, they're against you. And now we need to gather and attack them. That's not what he's saying here, right? It needs to be said in this year. He's not saying that now we need to take their money and now redistribute it for ourselves. These things have creeped into churches. Evil things saying, oh yes, for social justice we're going to do these things, but show me it biblically. Again, he's writing to a church with people who were going in things that truly were not just, who truly had no one that they can cry out to. And what's the Lord's command for them? Be patient. Wait on the Lord. Refresh yourselves in the Lord. Allow the Lord's patience to come. And now the next question, right? If you're like me, child is sometimes, okay, Lord, I'll be patient. But how long do I have to be patient, right? Lord, how long do I have to, one day, two days, a week, a month? No, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. We are to be patient until Jesus comes back. We're to be patient until we see him face to face. That's how we're supposed to treat this. When things are being done to us that aren't right and aren't fair, be patient. Again, you got to be wise. You got to read all of scripture. But we need to be patient when we see injustice happening. Don't allow your anger to be burning up inside when in many of these cases, there's not much we could do. 
Many times we're like Joseph with Potiphar and Potiphar's wife. Things aren't fair. Things aren't right. And you just got to be patient on the Lord. And wait upon the Lord. Wait on him. He's going to renew your strength. He's going to help you to soar. He's going to help you to work these things out. And again, what's the type that he gives us? What should our patience look like? Our patience should look like the patience of a farmer. We should be waiting for that great reward and not losing heart. Charles Spurgeon, he says, A man to whom it is given to wait for a reward keeps up his courage. And when he has to wait, he says, It is no more than I expected. I never reckoned that I was to slay my enemy at the first blow. I never imagined that I was to capture the city as soon as I digged the first trench. I reckoned upon waiting, and now it is come. I find that God gives me the grace to fight on and wrestle on till the victory shall come. Patience saves a man from a great deal of haste and folly. Patience saves a man, saves a woman from a great deal of haste and folly. Have you ever not been patient with your words? Not been patient with your purchases, right? And then all of a sudden you say, ah, man, I shouldn't have done that. That was a waste of money, right? I know someone, they purchased a car and then they said, oh, man, what have I done? They took the car back to the dealership and said, hey, can I return this? Can I take this back? Hasty purchase, right? So often we need to be patient and wait upon the Lord. Have that endurance until the coming of the Lord. Again, the patience of a farmer. David Guzik, he points out these specific ways that a farmer waits, that we should be waiting as believers. He waits with a reasonable hope and expectation of reward. A reasonable hope and an expectation of a reward. Again, God, he's not asking us to wait like sometimes we just tell our kids to wait just so we can get like five seconds to breathe. Maybe not you guys, but sometimes I do that, right? Just wait. Just give me a minute here. Let, let my brain disengage for 60 seconds, right? That's not what the Lord's doing. He's saying, hey, wait, I have a reward for you. That's the difference. It's different when I say, hey, if you behave well and you're patient, we're going to go out for ice cream later on. But you have to be patient. You have to wait, and then our expectation grows, and now we have reason to hope. We have a reward that we need to be patient for, that God and his timing, he's going to do it. A farmer, he waits a long time. My good news and bad news. There's a reward, but sometimes it takes a long time. I don't know what's the fastest plant to grow from seed to fruit, but it's not that quick. It's not a microwave. I don't care what miracle grow you have or what grow lights you have. It's going to take a long time to be able to see the fruit of the reward. And how does a farmer wait? Does a farmer just put down the seed and just leave, move to another state, and then come back and say, oh, hey, where's the fruit? No, he needs to work all the time he's waiting. Believers, we need to be working until the day that the Lord comes. We need to be working. We need to be working, allowing the Lord to work on us so that we would be better, we would be holier, we would look more and more like his image. And we also need to be about our father's business. He's working the whole time that he's waiting. He waits depending on things that are out of his power with his eyes on the heavens. Again, now we have irrigation and all these different things, but in this time period, 
They just had to wait. It would rain twice a year is what it tells us here. It would rain twice a year. At the beginning to soften the ground so that they could dig it up and get it ready. And then a second time that it would rain on the crop so that they can grow up and bear fruit. But what are we waiting on? The Lord. It's out of our power. All the things that we're seeing on the news for most of us, it's out of our power, right? The encouragement has been take care of your family. Is your family growing in the Lord? I know the news. I know the injustice. I know all the madness. Are you taking care of your family? Are you taking care of your flock? Guys, I have to tell you, I told the ladies during the ladies retreat. Roberto gave me this great portion of wisdom. He said, there's a father and mother in the house. And the father, the dad, he worries about the big problems. And she worries about the little problems. The big problems is the world, government, stocks, the weather, all those things. The wife, the little problems, is everything else. She has to worry about everything else. And so often the husband, they'll be there watching the news, getting angry, getting frustrated, getting so mad. And the kids are all running around. The mom is the one preparing the food, taking care of the kids, bathing the kids. Honey, what are you taking care of? Can you believe these things are happening, right? And yet she's the one attending to the important things. The things that are within our control. Again, the Lord, when you get to heaven, he's not going to say, what have you done with America, right? <laughs> Zach, what have you done with America? He's going to say, hey, what did you do with Amanda? How did it go with Levi? How did it go with the church? What did you do with Luke? What did you do with Ella? Those are the things that I'm going to have to stand before the Lord for. So again, be keeping that in mind. The farmer, he waits despite changing circumstances and many uncertainties. Again, just got to wait. Got to wait it out. Different things happen. He waits encouraged by the value of the harvest. Again, we wait, but there's different seasons of encouragement. Now we pray, we get encouraged, and that helps us usually to hope more and to wait more and be patient. He waits encouraged by the work and harvest of others. Again, when you see other farmers walking around, working, and now the seeds that they've been giving out are growing, it's an encouragement. Man, they're growing in the Lord. I need to do better in working in the Lord and being patient with the Lord. The farmer, he waits because really he has no other option. There's no other option. Nothing else he could do. If he worries next to the crops, they're not going to grow more. I don't care how much he sweats over them, right? They're not going to grow anymore. And we as believers, we just need to wait on the Lord because really there's nothing else to do but wait upon the Lord. We take care of the things we need to take care of, and he's going to do it in his perfect timing. He waits because it does no good to give up. It's no good to give up. If he just thrashes all the harvest, all the crops, he's got to start back at square one. He's got to dig, got to plow, got to put the seeds, got to water the ground. And family, when we give up in our walk and our relationship with the Lord, when we lose our patience and walk out on the Lord, the only one it hurts, it's us and the people we love around us. It's not good to give up. You got to start from square one. Have you ever been on a diet and you just give up in the middle of it, Right? And you swing from one pendulum to the other. You're frustrated because you didn't lose any weight. Now you binge and you gain 10 pounds, right? Did that do any good? 
The dad showed the diet who was boss, right? I'll show you who's boss. No. Not only do you have to start from square one, but now you got 10 more pounds to lose on top of it all. And when we're growing with the Lord and maturing with the Lord and we get frustrated by the results, and we just throw in the towel and say, man, forget this, forget these people, forget the word of God. When you come back, and hopefully you do, starting all over again. All right, Lord, I'm back on the bike. Let me trust in you and wait on you again. The farmer, he waits aware of how the seasons work. There's different seasons in the life of a believer. There's different seasons in our world, right? Just different seasons, different seasons in life. He waits because as time goes on, it becomes more important and not less to do so. Again, guys, as time goes on, we're closer and closer to heaven. As time goes on, we're closer and closer to his coming. As time goes on, we don't want to throw in the towel and give up and lose our patience right before the Lord comes. We want to wait and be patient. We got to wait on the Lord and we can't constantly be digging things up. And maybe you're in a season in life that you're just waiting. Can't dig things up. You kill it. You mess it up. Remember Ken, he's giving me advice. I was praying about a girl and I was bothering her all the time, asking her what was the deal, what was going on. It was Amanda, so it's all okay. But he just told me, he said, hey, you got to put that seed in the ground and bury it and leave it alone. If you keep picking up that seed every week, Every day, every month, you're going to kill it. It's never going to grow. Got to put that thing in the ground and leave it alone and allow the Lord to do the work. And I don't know what season of life you're in that you're just constantly digging the thing up. Maybe you ask someone for a position, for a job. You ask someone about your future, your bank account, your boss. And if you keep digging that up over and over and over and over again, you're going to kill it. It's never going to grow. We have to be patient until the coming of the Lord. Again, see how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and latter rain. You also, be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Again, we need to have established hearts. We need to be ready for the work that God wants to do. We have to have our minds and our hearts settled that, Lord, I'm going to follow you. Right? We sing those songs, Lord, don't none go with me, still I will follow. No turning back, no turning back. Our hearts, they need to be established. They need to be settled because the coming of the Lord is at hand. And again, it's so beautiful. James in this day, he's expecting that Jesus, again, his big brother, is going to return at any day and at any moment. And the same is true for us today. The coming of the Lord is at hand. It's as if the moment that Jesus left up into heaven, we've just simply been at the brink of his return all this time. We've just been running parallel at that coming of the Lord is at hand. And we've just been running parallel to that. Different things bring us more and more closer to the edge, right? Israel becoming a nation again, closer and closer to the edge. Technology of money being transferred without any cash. Wow, we're brought a little bit closer to the edge. The coming of the Lord is at hand. So again, family, be patient. You see injustice around you? Don't get trapped into a class war. Don't get trapped into a war between differences or people who are not right and people who are right. No, be patient. 
Wait on the Lord. Be that farmer that's waiting on the Lord in the right way with the right mindset. And later on, we'll see how he brings it all back to prayer. Bring it all back to prayer. You want to actually do something? You want to have that offensive weapon? We love offensive weapons, right? You're going paintballing. You don't want someone to just give you a garbage can lid and say, okay, you go out there, right? You want the gun. You want the best gun out there, right? Our offensive weapons as believers is prayer and the word of God. These are our offensive weapons, family. It's not necessarily social media. It's not necessarily your phones or whatever. Whatever tool you think in your mind. The best offensive tools we have, it's prayer and the word of God.